Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Uh, and just like every week, we like to take time to answer some questions. So as questions arise and come up, feel free to send them into our Facebook page at the Grove Church here in Washington State. You can direct message us those questions, or you can even email them at infogrove.church. So we would love for you to do that. All right. And as you can probably tell from the uh, the audio quality, we're... We sound a little different. We are in... Our governor ordered shelter in place. So we are... We're sheltering in place, so we're not. This is our first podcast we've ever done not in the same room together. So yes, we are using the the program Zoom, uh, which is a very popular program right now. Uh, so yeah, they're making money. <laughs> yeah, they are. Someone told me I should have invested in stock in Zoom, and I was like, shoot. Zoom uh, and too bad, uh, too bad we couldn't get them to sponsor this podcast, huh? That's fair. Zoom and uh, pretty much any any company that delivers things to your home doing great right yeah. now. So yeah, pretty much. Um, anyways, but no, we didn't want to, we didn't want to have, uh, all of this stop us from continuing on the podcast, especially since, I mean, it's going to be a few weeks for sure up here in Washington, maybe longer from what the governor says. So who knows? Um, and maybe we'll order yeah, some extra mics, who knows? But all right. <laughs> uh, so moving forward, uh, today, what we are doing is a thematic study of, uh, just heaven, the idea of heaven. And so resources that we're using today, um, as always, the ESV Study Bible and the Logos Bible software. Uh, we're also using Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem and Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Yep. So there you go. Can you hear the cats in the background? No, I don't hear any cats in the background, bro. Okay. They're fighting a little bit, but maybe I'll, maybe they, only I can hear. If you don't know this, Evan actually got a new kitten this last week. Um, it's true. He, he's a huge cat. What's the name of this one? Uh, I think it's Ray. Did you, so. Oh. The missus names them, so what are you going to do? Yeah. Kylo's the first cat. Ray is the second cat. I don't know if you know what they're interested in or one of their, their I don't know, not passions, but things they like movie-wise, Star it's Wars. True. So shout out to Kylo and Ray. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving forward on that, uh, one section we wanted to talk about in the very beginning was just kind of what are some, some myths about heaven? And I think it's yeah. kind of interesting because um, – I just heard this really interesting analogy actually a couple of days ago. This is after we had even finished the notes, but he was talking about how um, superstition um, latches onto um, latches onto religion the way that barnacles latch onto a ship. And he's hmm. talking about the idea of like sometimes people get so attached to um, just their own cultural superstitions, um, and they don't go through the work of trying to scrape the barnacles off of the ship. I guess is kind of the analogy. It's hard work. Yeah. So like I think. Heaven's one of those things for sure. Like, I think there's a lot of people who, um, like mansions in heaven is a weird thing that kind of just, I don't know where that started, but like the idea of like, we're all going to have these super awesome mansions. Like, well, the Bible doesn't really say anything about that, but okay. Um, hey, I better still get my mansion, bro. Yeah, there you go. And there's, you know, it's a big, big house, um, where we can lots play and lots football of and big table. Is that um, audio adrenaline? Is that the, the, the is that band? What it was an um, audio A? Something I'll, like I'll, that. I don't know. I'll Google it real quick while you're talking. Okay. So, because uh, if we're going to quote them, we got to credit them, right? That's fair. That's fair. Um, but I think there's a, there's a few just kind of like silly myths. Like, even if you want, I remember watching Tom and Jerry as a kid, and heaven is just like angels on clouds playing harps, and that's like the only thing that's going on. Um, so, we're not obviously going to address all those different things. But I think the two really important um, myths about heaven to address are uh, 
well, first off, Aaron, you look like you, that looked like the face of someone who figured out who recorded the song. Oh, it was audio adrenaline. Audio adrenaline? All right. I was going to wait, bro. I was going to interrupt. Hey, I just, you know, I saw the look of excitement on your face. I wanted to give you the opportunity <laughs> to. I was excited because I was right. <laughs> there you go. Shout out uh, to mine. Teen years. So the, the first myth uh, we want to address is just the idea that heaven will be boring. And so, and I think a lot of this comes from, um, there's verses in the Bible that talk about how we will be worshiping and glorifying God for all eternity. Um, and I think part of, in, the, in, the, in modern Christianity, worship has come to mean singing songs. And we've kind of lost the idea that all of the Christian life is worship. Like there's everything yeah. that we do um, can be worship and glorify God. It's not, but we, because we call the section of, you know, services that we do where we sing, because we call that section worship, it's kind of just become like when people read those passages, yeah. now they think like, oh, we're just going to be singing hymns for all of eternity. Oh, I, dude, I, I thought that most of my childhood, I thought that most of my teen years, like I remember telling my mom one, one day, like, I don't remember if it's actual or it's just me made up, but like not wanting to go to heaven because if all we're going to do is singing, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, ain't nobody got time for that. So um, I think that there is a very big shift in the conversation of worship. And what does that actually mean that we've got to um, really, really understand clearly that it's not the songs we sing, but it's the, our, our lives are meant to be worshiped. Um, I even wrote some communication for our church today regarding life group leaders and invited them to join with us in worship as we sing songs and hear the message and give and things like that. So um, yeah, the the whole idea of boring, I think is, is a really good myth to bust because I don't know why I said that, but uh, myth busted. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's true. Like worship is not, or is not just singing. So therefore eternity will not just be singing the same hymn over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and there's just, I, yeah, I think it's just important to know um, as far as that goes. It reminds me of a movie quote from, uh, I haven't quoted this in a while, actually, but from Lord uh, of the Rings. Oh, no. Chariots of Fire, <laughs> actually. Um, but it's when, you know, the classic. Yeah, it's about Eric Liddell. It's a sprinter. And one of the lines in the movie that he says is, um, uh, God made me fast. And when I run, I can feel his pleasure. And what he's communicating there is just the idea that um, there's a way of him worshiping and bringing glory to God just by using the gifts that he's been given. And if you look at his life, he clearly uses um, particularly the fame that he gets out of being a world-class sprinter to, to really make a difference um, all throughout the world. I mean, Eric Liddell's an incredible person. So read, read a biography of him if you have the chance. Um, it's really good. But uh, so that, yeah, I think that's just kind of an important thing to talk about. Uh, the second mm -hmm. myth um, that I think is actually, it's, it's interesting how uh, pervasive this is because I like even for myself, like I totally believe this um, until I, I kind of did a deeper study into it. This is years ago now, um, but heaven and earth will not always be separate. And I think there is, so there's a few different layers to this. I think a lot of Christians believe that um, one one day the earth is going to be completely destroyed and then we're all going to go to heaven. We're all going to leave and we're all going to go to heaven and live there with God for all eternity. Um, when in reality, what, the, what the, the picture that the Bible paints is not that earth is destroyed and we all go to heaven, but rather that earth is remade, heaven is remade, and then they're joined together. And then yeah. that is where we spend eternity with God. So it's the new heaven and the new earth, as opposed to uh, just some, yeah, it's not some far off place that we're going to go to and then we'll leave earth behind while it's getting, you know, nuked or whatever. So mm -hmm. It's true, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's just an important thing. I think it also, it's just important to remember the, the redemptive acts aspect of it. So it's not yeah, like, sure. 
yeah, it's not like the flood where God's like, this is irredeemable and he destroys it all, but, but rather it's, it's really God taking creation and, and making it into what it should be, which is, um, I think a far more beautiful thing anyway. So that'll be a good one. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you have any, any other thoughts to add? No, I think, I think everything you said, I totally agree with. I think, um, there's not enough conversation about heaven in general, um, in my childhood and in my upbringing to where it did create a lot of, we, we, in essence, fill in the blanks sometimes in our own humanities. Uh, and we've got to be careful with that. I think, um, I mean, I'm reading one of the lines you wrote in the notes of the idea that we're made for heaven. I don't know if you said that uh, we were not, or we were made for heaven. Heaven was not made for us. Right. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of a, sometimes where I want scripture to be very just black and white and it's not. <laughs> and, um, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay to understand that scripture is not going to be um, it's not a play by play. It's a um, it's a much bigger conversation, just a play by play manual. And so uh, when it comes to heaven, I think we have to, really carefully study and read scripture to understand what it's actually saying. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And we say it a lot on the podcast, um, but I, I forgot because I have this at the top of my notes and I didn't say it, but I, and we repeat this a lot, but um, it's always my goal to never try, never try to make vague something that the Bible makes, makes clear. And at the same mm-hmm. time, don't try to make clear something which the Bible leaves vague. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's not to say like, we can't kind of dream about it. Um, and wonder what's going to happen. But I think sometimes there's just these weird dogmas that get built around ideas um, that aren't clear in scripture. And then it, at the end of the day, I think it just kind of hurts Christians. And a lot of the myths about heaven are, um, they're just dogmas ad- adapted from other cultures, which is kind of yeah. interesting. Um, well, and there's a proverb um, that it was always really challenging. And what, there's just a moment where it just clicked with me where I wish I remembered off the top of my head where it was, but I don't. But in essence, it's this, it's this idea that um, it's for the glory of man to search out a matter, but it's for the glory of God to conceal a matter. Um, and it's just like when I was, I remember when it clicked, it's just like, there's moments where I will not fully understand clearly everything. And it's sometimes in our own pride and our own ego and our own desire to have answers that we fill in the blanks with things that are not clear. And we allow, we create clarity out of, out of ambiguity in scripture. Um, and that leads us into trouble. And so we've got to be really careful yeah. to make our agenda and our motives um, a higher priority than trusting Jesus and trusting his sovereignty. Because at the end of the day, God has things in control. God has things understood. God has things playing out, even in the midst of COVID, like God has everything figured out. So we, he's trustworthy. And so we've got to be careful. And, and, and I love that quote. I think you're right. I think you and I have talked about it for years, different times. Um, just the idea of like, we got to be really careful um, and very, very diligent in what we create too much clarity out of when there's not a lot of clarity. Right. Uh, so moving forward, there's kind of two aspects of heaven that we want to talk about today. And this is, this is going to be kind of a cursory overview. Um, there's not going to be a ton of depth. I will say, and I will highly recommend, um, we talked about it, but the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Um, great book. Oh, it's a great, yeah. So this is when I was talked about years ago, how I kind of like actually got into a study. This is the book that really I, I read. It's about 400 pages, so it's a, it's a big one, but um, it's a really easy read. And it's just taking basically there's sections. And what I appreciate what I appreciate about him too is it's clear about he'll go through and say, This is what the Bible says about heaven, here's what we can know. And then there's also a section of a section of the book that's just kind of thoughts. And so he's he he never says this is what heaven will be like, but it's kind of 
based off of what we know about the Bible, here's maybe some ideas of what it could be like. But he's always very clear about when he's doing that as opposed to when he's, which I think is, yeah, like we just talked about, I think is important. Um, but if you're more interested in heaven, highly recommend that book. Um, really mm-hmm. good. So there you go. Yeah, he does a really great job. So one of the things he brings up is this idea of the present heaven. Um, and really when we talk about heaven, most of the time I think this is what we're referring to when people just kind of reference it. It's, it's, it's where do you go when you die? Because um, when we talk yeah. about the new heaven and new earth, that's after Christ come back. Right now, those things do not exist. We just know from Scripture that they that they will exist. Um, and so it's kind of this interesting idea of like, well, what is what is the present heaven? Um, and so there's actually a passage I wanted to read from First Thessalonians. I think it's good because in this passage, Paul is kind of just he's correcting some doctrine uh, that clearly the the people of Thessalonica kind of believed. And so he says. And this is in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uniformed brothers, uh, uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do, who do uh, others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And fallen asleep there is a euphemism for those who have died. Uh, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And that's kind of an important verse right there. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, and so Paul wanted to make clear that there, um, that there are things that happen to Christians when they die. So it's not just kind of this idea of nothing happens. And all of a sudden later on, he's saying, you know, we will not proceed, um, those in death. There's other passages in the Bible that kind of just talk about, you know, eventually what happens, uh, probably the most famous one would be when Jesus is on the cross and the, uh, the thief on, I forgot what side he was on, but the thief who, uh, basically accepted Jesus. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise, um, which is clearly a reference to it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen today. It's going to soon. So there is some kind of place uh, that we go to where when we, when Christians die, when those who have put their faith in Jesus uh, have died, they go to a place where we get to experience a perfect relationship with God, which is an incredible hope for Christians. And I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting that we, I think in American Christianity, we just don't talk about it very much because we, because our lives are so good, which I know sounds like a weird <laughs> statement. Um, but I think we don't spend a lot of time thinking about mortality because our lives are so good right now. Like there's, there's not like this hope of, you know, I'm suffering now, but eventually um, there will be peace. Whereas when you, at the time when this is written, when Christians are being persecuted and executed um, and your life expectancy is much shorter, the hope of heaven is actually a much more important thing to, to hold on to. Whereas for us today, yeah. I think a uh, much shorter detriment, we don't talk about it very much just because for the most part uh, in America, we're not suffering for our faith. We're not um, experiencing persecution. Our lives are great. Uh, we have a really long life expectancy comparatively. So it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, I, but I also think it's, it's an, I mean, it's a reality of our culture. I think our culture is not eternity driven. It's momentary driven. I think we, and, and the United States have this issue of 
the moment and not eternal. Um, and that I think there's, there's many people out there that would argue that that's the problem that we face as a culture. And so um, having these, having these dialogues about heaven and eternity are important. Um, I had to write in my notes for a second that this is a conversation about heaven. It's not a conversation about um, all of revelation and the end times and what's coming. And because those two of them merge together in some respects, but heaven is a very real place just as much as hell is. So, yeah, that's a great thing to keep in mind. And yeah, it is, it is interesting that you say it, the, yeah, the idea that when you listen to so much preaching, it's about what can God do for you right now, and it's not mm-hmm. about um, our hope and eventually in the yeah. future. And, and the great hope of the Bible is not that um, God is going to come in and, and sweep in and make life incredible right now, but our, our great hope is really that um, one day Christ is coming back, and we will yeah. get to live in the new heaven and new earth with God and experience perfect relationship with Him. So that's, that's yeah. Another book that I would that talks a lot about this concept of heaven and eternity is uh, by an author named John Bevere called driven by eternity. Um, it's one that I'm kind of working through right now, which I wish I would have had it, had it finished for this discussion, but I haven't been able to yet. Um, but it does. It, I mean, John does talk about the idea of understanding eternity and what it means to live in light of eternity. Now today as Christians and followers of Christ versus waiting to get there. Um, and there's some pretty stark challenges in that book, but um, I think it is this challenge that we as Christians, especially in today, and I think I think it's important all the more even now to spend time really, really working through what eternity looks like and what does it mean to live in light of it. So, yep. Um, so I guess just a couple helpful things about um, the present heaven while we're talking about that. Um, in the book Heaven, Brandy Alcorn uses a helpful analogy about a layaway. Um, and so, you know, for instance, every Christmas, my parents live down in Southern California. And so once in a while, there's not a direct flight back up to Seattle. So y'all have to fly into Oakland and then I'll fly to Seattle. And he's talking about how the present heaven is kind of like the layaway stop on a flight. It's not our ultimate destination, um, but it's a place that we're going while we're waiting to go to our ultimate destination. And the ultimate destination is the new heaven and the new earth. Um, And then a couple places, a couple interesting things. Uh, The present heaven is a physical place. So it's not... Um, just kind of like an idea, which I know is kind of a weird thing to say, but um, we see in uh, the book of Acts when Stephen is being stoned, it's really interesting because the Bible talks about how um, a veil is lifted up and he can see into, basically he can see into heaven, which is a really cool idea. Um, and so it's a physical place that exists uh, probably just in a different dimension, That which I know sounds really weird to say, which a lot of times when you're just talking about heaven, it's going to sound really weird. Um, but the idea would just basically be that um, it's a place that we as humans right now can't fully interact with. We can't fully perceive, uh, but that doesn't make it any less real. And there's, even if you look at um, just kind of like some scientific theories moving forward, um, that's not an outlandish idea that there's, um, that there's other universes, I suppose, or there's other places that we can't perceive or interact with, but nonetheless, they're there. And so uh, we would probably put just the present heaven into that category. So there you go. This is the hard part about not being in the same room is I can't look at you for cues of when you want to talk. <laughs> sorry. I So there is, man, I, I'm stuck on this thought for some reason about um, understanding heaven, again, is, 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 is a physical, it's a real place. It's it's something that we are living for. Uh, so I was trying to jump into the book that I've been reading just to because there's a couple of thoughts I, I can't remember clearly. And so I don't want to talk out of an assumption or a very wrong paraphrase. So I was looking up the book, trying to figure it out. That's all I was doing. So, 
Um, I haven't found it yet, but um, if I find it before we get done, I'll, I'll highlight it. If not, um, stay tuned. I'll, I'll have some highlights, I think, from it. We'll, so. we'll bust it back out later if, if you yeah. find it. So with that being said, let's move on to uh, the new heaven and the new earth. And there's actually a passage from Second Peter uh, that I wanted to read to kind of start off this section. And it says this. Uh, this is Second Peter 3, 8 through 13. But to not overlook this fa- one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of, peop- what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord, coming of the day of God, because of, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Boy, Peter's really laying into that. Uh, Dude, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a challenging picture in and of itself. <laughs> uh, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there's that picture of it's not just that things will be destroyed, but rather it's that they will be, uh, they'll be remade, uh, yeah. which I think we just kind of, I, I think culturally we just kind of skip past that one for some reason once in a while. Um, but there you go. Yeah. So Peter is reminding his readers that our ultimate hope, the thing that we should be looking forward to is the fact that Jesus will be returning, that there will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, and that our, our dwelling place will be in perfect relationship with God forever. Yeah. And and I think, um, yeah, there's one there's one passage of scripture that I think just says it the best, um, and it's, it's in Revelation chapter 21, which I think is just, Revelation 21 and 22 are some of my favorite passages of the Bible, which is funny because most of Revelation is kind of dense and hard. Um, there's yeah. just, there's a it's lot true. of, there's a lot of symbolism there. Um, but when, it's hard to keep up with all the turns and the different allegorical statements and right. like, yeah, it's just hard. The imagery is difficult. Well, I think so often when we read the book, we, we focus on the sections in the middle where it's about like, what's going to happen here on earth. And that's, those are the sections that are super vague. Like who knows what, like some of that stuff is referring to. Um, but the section on heaven uh, the new heavens, the new earth, I should say, are some of the most beautiful in the entire Bible. And it says this, uh, this is John speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Keep that verse in mind. Um, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Uh, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So I, I, lo- I love this statement that says, Behold the dwelling place 
of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their yeah. God. I love like, even like with modern worship songs, I always get a little bit emotional when that verse is alluded to, which is all the time, which as it should be. Yeah. Um, and that's where um, the statement I made, uh, I put at the top of the notes that you read earlier, the idea that we were made for heaven. Heaven was not made for us. I think is what's really yeah. important to keep in mind. The The ultimate hope of heaven is not that we're going to have all this cool stuff, which I think sometimes, particularly when you're younger, like when you're a kid, that's just kind of how it's described to you. It's so true. Um, but I think we, we miss out on the beauty of, it's not that heaven is created to be this perfect place where we want to live. Because I think that's where superstition comes in. I think that's just... Um, I think it's just something that you tell people to feel better. Um, but but the reality of it is from what we read from scripture is that we were made to crave perfect relationship with God. And heaven yeah. is is really this fulfillment of that, which I think is really, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah well, and, and in that book I was referencing, one of the things John Bevere says is, and, and coming out of these two passages that I mean, you just read, um, he talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And, page 185 just to cite my resources and 186 he says this the city is breathtaking i mean how many times do we get caught up in an area or an av- like where we're just our breath is taken away by the beauty of the world we live in whether it's a sunset a landscape a uh you know a beautiful picture of even like innocence and a child and just this this awe and and and, and drive of man that is phenomenal and incredible like john beaver says the whole idea like reading these passages like the whole city is breathtaking it's a, and he says this, it's a wonder like no earthly city we have ever seen. It will emanate opulence, radiance, and splendor. There will be no corruption whatsoever because it is utterly pure. Uh, and I think that picture, like, there is so much to be said about heaven and eternity and what heaven will be like. There's so much to, to, to hit on in the little bit of conversation we have about what heaven looks like and will be but it should drive us to this breathtaking awe of, I mean, even as you said, Evan, like to be driven emotionally in some respects to respond. Um, I think that's really, uh, really key. And and, and how we respond, and I'm going to say something that might be a little bit ruffling some feathers here or controversial, but I think how we respond in moments about eternity, what, what is evoked, whether it's emotion, whether it's, uh, disregard, whether it's, I think that says a lot about our understanding and our, the picture that God has given us through his word. Um, and I think it should draw a, a certain level of silence. I think I, maybe that's the right way to say it, but it, it should draw us to a point of awe. And, and as I reread these passages and it was like, man, Lord, you are so faithful. And even the picture in you highlighted verse 12, where it says, um, because the of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn um as the old is taken care of in fire where it's burnt the new emerges i think that's such a it's exciting and, and it almost makes me anticipate much like paul's like to die is gain right. um but i think this idea of breathtaking it's how we respond even in even in this podcast how what it, what it is evoked in our hearts and our spirits i think says a lot about our perspective um, and I think we've got to be very careful as Christians to not neglect uh, what we're actually living for, and that's eternity. That's heaven. Yeah, it's of all the promises. It's that perfect relationship with God. And like you said, one of the most powerful passages of um, the Randy Alcorn book is that I haven't read it actually in a while, so I'm kind of just pulling from memory. But 
um, I remember being the section where he was going around, he was touring the country, giving like talks on heaven and stuff like that. <clears throat> and uh, a man came up to him afterwards and he showed him. So there, I forgot which verse it is, but there's a, a verse of the Bible where it talks about how um, the walls of the new Jerusalem are made of Jasper. And so mm-hmm. he showed him um, this polished stone that he kept in his pocket. And he was telling him that um, his son had died when he was really young. And um, basically as a way of just reminding himself where his son is um, and that he'll see him again, he always carried with him um, a polished Jasper stone. Um, And when he looked at it, he would think about, well, this is what the walls of the new Jerusalem are going to be like. And this is going to be the place where, you know, one day I'll be, I'll be reunited. It was just like a really beautiful, interesting statement. And as, as actually on my desk at the office, I have a polished Jasper stone. So there you go. Oh, really? That's why I have it there. It kind of looks out of place. Yeah. But I well, but I know you have stuff there that looks out of place in general. So that's true. It's an eclectic desk. Um, <laughs> but I, what what it help what it helps me what it helps remind me of is just kind of living in light of eternity. That yeah, this life isn't all of that there is. Um, the sufferings of this life. I think that's one of the great hopes of scripture is that the sufferings of this life will seem small and insignificant in comparison to the new heavens and the new earth when, when we're there. Um, I, yeah, I think there's, there's this kind of platonic fulfillment that, that happens. I want to be careful because I think, um, speaking of barnacles on Christianity, I think Plato and Aristotle are, are really big on there and like just from medieval tradition, like from what carries over. Um, but I do think that the idea of, um, the platonic form, which is basically the perfect, um, the perfect form of a thing is like, is, is kind of like what the philosophy talks about. And I think heaven really is that in a sense where, um, we'll see things the way that they're meant to be. And there's going to be, and things will be more beautiful. Things will be more, um, things will make more sense, which I think is a, is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's just this idea of, when we get to experience perfect relationship with God, when we get to experience creation, the way uh, creation perfected, I guess is a way to look at it. Um, all the, all the tears will fade away. All of the, uh, the pain from life will fade away. Um, yeah. And we'll just be worshiping God for all eternity. So it's yeah. a really cool thing. Yeah. And I, I think in this, this, I mean, much larger conversation of heaven and living in light of eternity and what does this actually look like and mean and play out to be, um, I think it's one thing to understand salvation comes through Christ alone. The cross of Jesus and how we respond to it is one layer to this. Um, but the, even the promise of living in eternity, how we're going to live, what we will live in, and um, what does it actually look like, I think, um, is is another layer. And, and there's a quote that I'm going to, again, highlight from this book uh, from John Bevere, um, because it's challenging to me. I mean, John Bevere makes the statement, his whole premise of the book, um, Hinges from Matthew 7, 1, or 721, um, 721, I won't pause. So uh, where it says this, that not Jesus makes a statement that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tense conversation because Jesus is speaking to, you know, followers that are close to him or wanting to follow him. Um, and in the light of this is where John Bevere really gets this conversation out of Driven by Eternity. Uh, but he says this statement. Uh, I don't know, 60, 70%-ish through the book. I only know that because of Kindle. It's awesome. Um, But he says this on page 193. He says, remember, where we spend eternity is determined by what we do with the cross of Jesus and his saving grace. So that's one layer. What what we do, what we do with the cross. 
He says, but how we will live for eternity in his kingdom is that is determined by the way we live here as believers. And the majority of our audience, I think is Christian. They're followers of Christ. They um, are professing Christians. Um, but it, it's, we have to understand the way we live determines how we'll live in eternity, what, what we will inherit in the kingdom of God. Um, and this is why we're challenged all the time. Like, don't, don't put your treasure in, in places that can rust or rust and moth and, and thieves can steal and destroy. Um, but it's, it's not enough to talk about or have a concept of heaven and say, okay, cool. I'm going to get there one day. Um, there's a much greater thing at stake and that's how are we living in light of that truth? And what are we doing to uh, be obedient to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives? And so um, heaven is, is a great, dude, it's a great, exciting um, inheritance that we all get to have as Christians, but that's not it. It's, that's not all. That's not all there is. And so we have to remember um, there's so much more to this conversation with following Christ and, and living in light of eternity beyond just, okay, I know something better is coming. Um, yeah, there's no more pain. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. Those are all things that I can't wait for, bro. Like the anxiousness and fear I have at times from me and my wife and my kiddos, um, that scares me at times. Like, man, what happens if one of us gets this virus or what happens if someone breaks into our house or what happened? Like there's so many different fears that creep up as a dad, uh, Evan, that you have no idea about. You have a glimpse because of your cats, but, um, yeah, it's totally the same. I was just going to say, um, but I think that there, I just, anyways, I, not to stress it, not to over, over the emphasize, but I just think there's value in it. as Christians. We've got to remember it's not just about salvation, but it's about submission and authority to Jesus where we lay our lives down and die to ourselves. Um, cause that brings in to perspective this whole tension of eternity. So when you're talking, when you're talking about, um, the way we live now determines how we live in eternity. All I could think of was um, the great Roman general Maximus Decimus Meridius when he says that what we do in life echoes in eternity. So, good I mean, movie. I haven't seen that movie in forever. <laughs> I haven't either, but it's still a really good I movie. Watch it. Um, okay, so that wraps it up uh, for our, our uh, discussion on the theme of heaven. Obviously, we weren't able to dive super duper deep um, into all of it, but hopefully that was a little bit helpful. And maybe we'll revisit the topic in a little bit more depth at a later date. So we'll we'll kind of see if the if the fan demand is out there. Um, but we have a couple a uh, couple questions that came in on the Facebook page this week that were actually really fun to, to look into a little bit. Uh, but first, before we jump into those, I do want to remind you guys that uh, when you leave reviews, it helps the podcast get out there to more and more people. Um, and so preferably of the five-star variety. But if you want to know, you know, what are some ways that we can make Evan and Aaron really happy right now, a five-star review would be, you know, just a perfect present. So it helps. Uh, Evan will name his next cat after you. That is so the not, next person that gives a five-star review. That is not true. But we do read the reviews. Um, all, try. <laughs> all constructive criticism is uh, is welcome and very helpful. And uh, we really yeah, we're not perfect, it. so we don't expect to be perfect. Perfect, so don't nope. expect us to be either. But help uh, us get better. Absolutely. Um, okay, so this one I actually didn't write any answers down to because I think it's kind of I think we have in our head um, what the answers are going to be. But uh, in John eleven, why does Jesus weep? Um, I always thought it was because Lazarus died, but then I realized that if Jesus intended to bring him back from the dead, he wouldn't be sad, right? Was it just because he was empathizing with Mary? So there you go. Um, short this answer. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, isn't it? It's eleven thirty one, right? Where it says yep, Jesus, Jesus wept. wept. There you go. That's so, it. John. It's a verse in and of itself. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, short answer, short answer, yes. That that is why Jesus is crying. Obviously, he knows that Lazarus isn't going to stay dead. Um, but I also think it's it's one of those. I think we joke about John eleven thirty one because it's the shortest verse of the Bible, and it's like, hey, this is no, it's not thirty one, by the way. Oh no, what is it? Thirty, twenty one, eleven. I remember now. That's Uh-oh. a bummer. Uh oh, I've been spreading misinformation. You are a liar. Keep talking. I'll find it. I'll, right. I'll correct the right verse. Um, but no, I, I I do think thirty five. Thirty five. There you go. Eleven thirty five. Um, it's it's one of the most powerful verses of the Bible because what it shows is that God experiences our pain as well, and not in the not in the sense of like He's taking on, but in the sense of um, He's when, human too. Yeah, when we're sad, um, that also grieves. God, that it's grieving Jesus to watch everyone um, grieve over the loss of their brother or the loss of Lazarus, which I think is a really, it's it's just, I don't know. I, for some reason, I think the fact that Jesus knows that Lazarus, Lazarus is going to come back makes the weeping all the more powerful because then you know he's not weeping because he lost his friend. He's weeping uh, because of the pain that these people are are experiencing, yeah. which uh, I think it's in Hebrews where it says we uh, we have a high priest who... Um, can empathize with us in every way, mm-hmm. which I think, I think this, verse right is, uh, this verse is a, a reminder of that. It also reminds yeah, it, me, oh, sorry. You know, you're good. Go ahead. I was going to say, it also kind of reminds me of um, just the idea that when we watch movies, um, particularly with me, I guess, but some people cry in books and whatnot, but it is funny how we uh, will cry um, over the death of people that we've never met or don't exist which is kind of interesting, but I, I, this is a stupid example, but we just watched Coco, the Pixar movie. Oh my um, goodness. So never seen it before. So we're like, Oh, let's watch it. And so like we get to it and the whole time. I'm like, Oh, this is a fun movie. And then I guess I won't spoil it. But at the very end, there's just a scene um, where characters are basically reflecting on the death of a, of a relative. And all of a sudden, like, I just like look down. I'm like, Oh, I'm crying now. And I look over at Ashley and she's crying. And we're both just like bawling at the end of this movie. Um, but like mama Coco isn't a real person. Like they, she never existed. Like the grand, I don't know, like all these things never actually happened, but it is funny how just like the empathy that we feel um, yeah. for imaginary people can lead us to emotion. Um, and so it makes sense that the empathy that Jesus felt for real people, for his friends that he had relationship with would also move him to emotion. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I think there's, there's many different times in scripture where it says Jesus weeps. Um, not, I guess not many, that's an over-exaggeration, but there's a few different times that we've seen throughout the New Testament and the gospels and it's Jesus approaches a city and he weeps for the city. Um, but in this one, it literally, the context is, is his friends. I mean, Lazarus was a friend of his and passed away. And all the while he delayed, he knew a big picture God was going to use this to glorify him referring to God, not necessarily to Jesus himself uh, in that moment as, as the man, but um, he just, it's a, it's an empathetic response. It's that empathetic, like your hearts are broken. I mean, I'll, I'll go to a memorial or a funeral of someone that I've, I've never met. Um, and sometimes officiators sometimes attend because I know the family and um, you can't help but weep because in that moment, there's this overall sense of grieving. Um, and in our, in our humanity, we, we align our, our, our grief and understanding. So I think in this passage, that's why he weeps is it's that this, this is a family friend. This is, um, a friend, I guess a very close friend and, um, he counts them as family. And so he, he sees their brokenness and their, their, he, he empathizes with them. So, yep. Absolutely. Short answer. Easy. 
All right. So second question. Uh, so I'll just read the whole thing. So, okay. Next question for when the podcast reboots, hope you're all safe by the way. Um, so yeah, no need to reboot. We are continuing on. We're pressing on. Um, it's just going to have the dip in audio quality for a little bit. Uh, but Genesis 6, Maybe we'll 6, post the video so you can see us talking instead of just hearing us. I don't know. I was thinking we'll about doing tricky. that, but I made a lot of weird faces during the video. So that's the best part. They can see yeah. us in our elements. I don't know. Uh, Genesis 6, 6. Don't worry guys. I'll push him to do it. That the Lord regretted making humans on the earth, given that all of God's actions are deliberate and all knowing why did he regret it? Note that in Genesis one, God never refers to the second day where water is split as good. Uh, there's a theory that says that he knew he would use the water for the flood, meaning he knew exactly what was going to happen. So did he just regret the loss of life? Okay. Uh, first off, I've never heard that theory. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, I, I don't know I, if I've ever heard of it either. I can't tell you one way or the other, but you know, it's an interesting thought, I suppose. Uh, God clearly knew because God knows everything. So God exists outside Wait, of time. God knows everything. I know. I'm just kidding. Uh, but bad joke. So, so yeah, during creation, God is fully aware that eventually the water will be used uh, for this purpose. But I actually think uh, it's kind of funny that these two questions came in on the same week because I think they're actually very, very connected. Um, and so here's what I'll say. So I took, I bust out my handy dandy concordance, which is like my favorite thing to do on this podcast. Good work. Um, yeah. And so uh, the Hebrew word uh, for regret when it says the Lord regretted making humans on earth is nokam. Or Noham, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's N-O-C-H-A-M. Ham. Uh, but it can be translated as sorrow, uh, sorry, repentance, or compassion. And so what's really interesting is so many different Bible translations translate this word differently, which is kind of interesting. Because normally with English translations, you're going to see very similar uh, very similar translations for Hebrew words, but the NASB and the ESV and the NIV all translate this differently, which is kind of, I thought, I thought that was just kind of an interesting thing. Cause at first I looked, um, cause my concordance is an NASB one. Cause I just, I got it for school. Um, and so I was looking for the ESV word, which is almost always the same. Uh, but it wasn't the same because in the ESV it's regretted. Um, and then in the NASB it's actually translated as sorry. Um, and I think, um, if we look at the ways that this word can be used, well, I don't think God was repenting of creating humans because there's nothing to repent of. That's not God's sin. Um, well, God can't sin, but even, you know, theoretically, I suppose, <laughs> if he could, like there's no sin that God needs to repent of. So that's clearly not um, what's happening there. But I, I would guess that really the correct translation there is probably not compassion either, maybe a little bit, um, but I think it's sorrow. I think it's similar to how... Um, Jesus felt sorrow for the pain that people were experiencing. I think that um, God is feeling sorrow. Uh, he's feeling sorrow for the fact that uh, this is what he made and this is how the people have reacted. Um, but he's also probably feeling some sorrow for uh, the loss of life that's going to come for the pain that's going to be experienced. He's probably feeling sorrow for the pain that Noah um, and his family will experience because, and I think we kind of glance past this in the story, but um, even though the people of earth aren't portrayed in a positive light, like these are their family and friends who are, yeah. We're all dying. And so I think there's just um, a moment where God is experiencing experiencing sorrow for what is about to befall is experiencing sorrow that he made all these things and this is what's going to happen. Not that he wasn't aware um, that would that it would happen. Um, but, you know, just like watching Old Yeller, you know full well the dog's going to die, but it still hits you when it, when it happens. So that's kind of... Yeah, no, I, I think I, I would agree with you. I would think that there, I mean, 
God does not regret. He's like, oh shoot, I made a mistake. I think that's sometimes where we view the the, the word regret. Um, I, but I think there is this moment of of broke, like uh, not just. Dis- not disappointment, but like, I think there is grief and there is a little bit of sorrow. I mean, the Bible talks about us grieving God through sin and grieving. Like I think through our own humanity and brokenness, there are certain amounts of grief. And so, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a certain level of what that entails. And I think that that creates some tension to it. So, yep. um, yeah, I think, I think that's a good, Oh, there's a cat. I saw it. Yeah. It's like jumped on my back and buried its claws into me. So jerk. So, yeah, I think it's a good question. That's a, I, and I've not heard that theory before too. And to be honest with you, I'd love to see um, almost like a site or a source for that because I'd love to to read up on that a little bit because I've never heard that before and I think it's always fun to learn new things. So Yeah, there you go. Um, but with that being said, that wraps it up for uh, another episode of Let's Read the Bible. So just a quick reminder, we're a podcast of the Grove Church, um, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources and websites uh, on our website at growth.church. And uh, we're going to keep continuing on uh, in the midst of this really weird season. So uh, keep listening. We'll do our best. Um, But we'll see you guys next week.